What's up, church? How we doing, everybody? Are you good? You good? Well, hey, I just want to take a minute. I want to welcome everybody who is watching right now online. And, of course, everybody who's watching live right now in this moment over at the South Side, South Campus. South Campus, we love you. And we love you here. We love you there. And the best way we can show you is by clapping for you. So come on, somebody. Will you put your hands together and welcome everybody who's watching with us today? Man, I just love church. Don't you just love church? It's just good being in the presence of God and being around the people of God. I just love it. I love you. I'm just so thankful for our church, and I'm thankful for what God is doing and how he's moving and how he's working. And I'm, I'm thankful for this series in Nehemiah uh, where we are, I think we're on week seven or eight, and we've got two left. All right, we've got today, and then we've got next week. And I've just been so encouraged by this. Um, honestly, this is like real talk here. I didn't know much about Nehemiah, like, coming into this series, so I know that's probably, like, a little bit indicting uh, on your pastor a little bit. Uh, I know I studied it in Bible school um, 20 years ago, um, so, but I haven't done a lot of, like, of course, I read it, you know, every year, go through the Bible in a year, but, like, not, like, a deep dive, you know, not a deep dive, and I've just really enjoyed This has been awesome. And I'm excited about the next two weeks because these next two weeks are going to be super encouraging. And if you've missed any of the messages, I really want to encourage you to go online because what we have been learning from Nehemiah is, is such a clinic on leadership. It's a clinic on spiritual leadership. It's a clinic on where to put your faith and how to lead and, and how to grow. And so it's been re really, really helpful. So I want to encourage you to go online. You can check out our app. You can also get caught up that way. But I want to encourage you to do that. Uh, but today, uh, we're coming to the end. Again, two messages left. And today, I want to talk to you about joy, okay? I want to talk to you a little bit about joy. How many of you could use a little bit of extra joy in your life, right? Like, I don't think anybody's like, no, nah, I'm good. Like, I think everybody's like, I could take a little bit of extra joy. And it's a theme of Christmas, it's a Christmas theme, so we're kind of moving into the Christmas season, and it's okay to put your Christmas lights up right now. I just want you to know that. It's okay. Be free. Don't listen to the haters. You be free to put those Christmas lights up. You get your tree up as soon as you want to, all right? You do it. You celebrate as long, and you keep it up till February if you want to, in Jesus' name. All right. We want to have some joy, so... Joy is it's a Christmas word, right? It's a Christmas word. In fact, in Luke 2, the Christmas, one of the Christmas passages, the shepherds uh, see an angel. Angel shows up and says this, I bring you good news that will cause great, everybody say it with me, joy for all the people. This is a Christmas idea. This is like, this is a God idea. You hear about this at Christmas time. And in fact, you hear about this even in secular advertising. Have you ever noticed this? Like, you ever notice, like, how Christ, like, during Christmas, secular advertisements will, like, really lean into this. Like, you know, for, like, J.C. Penney's. Look at this. Like, they'll put, like, little, like, joy, comfort, and peace. J.C. Penney. You know? There it is. Or Kohl's. It's, the, what was it? Go, go to the Kohl's. Give joy, get joy. Kohl's cash. Okay, Lowe's. Lowe's even keys in on this. All right, you want to need a little joy? Come to Lowe's and get that new drill you've been wanting. Okay, Starbucks, okay, they definitely get, you know, they got a little joy. Bring the joy home. No, I think they've got a legitimate case there. I mean, you know, like, they got a little, 
you know, the, the bean of caffeine is straight from the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> but, but, you know, this is, this is marketing at Christmas time. They take this word joy, and they say, in order to have joy, you need this, right? In order to have joy, you need to be a little bit thinner. You need to be a little bit stronger. You need this jacket. You need this dress. You need to loosen up a little bit. Or you need to tighten up a little bit. All of the marketing at Christmas time is meant to say, if you get this, this will bring you joy. In fact, and I know Chiefs fans are not going to love me for this. Uh, yeah, just get your moaning out of the way. But, okay, you know, you guys know I'm a Tom Brady fan. I, I know it's hard. I know it's hard. You don't even want to hear me. But I've been a Tom Brady fan for a long time. Okay, and so I've been following him. Obviously, last year he had this, went to the Bucks, as you know. And... Um, he, uh, he had this little YouTube series with Rob, Gron Rob Gronkowski. It was called uh, Tommy and Gronky or something like that, I think. And they do like these little interviews where they ask questions. And, and you know, they were talking about like each other, like, oh, what is this person like? What's their favorite color? And then they asked Gronk, what's Tom's favorite Super Bowl ring? And you know what he said? The next one. That's literally what he said. That's literally what he said. And and he got that one last, just a few months ago. Uh, I know it's, it's hard. But that's how life is made out to be, isn't it? It's, we believe that if we chase something else, we will get more joy. And the reason I bring that up is because we come to a passage of Scripture in Nehemiah that literally talks about joy and how to find real joy. Now, I'm going to throw this verse on the screen. Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10. It says this. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, just out of curiosity, this is, I just want to know, how many of you ever heard that phrase? You saw it on Mardell, you went to Hobby Lobby or something like that. Okay, you heard that phrase, like the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, what's interesting is like, you might think like that would come from Psalm. You know, like David's just like playing his little harp. And he's like, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Like maybe that happened. You know, and it's in Psalm. Or maybe it's like a pre-war battle cry. You know, the Israelites are getting ready to go into battle. They're like, the joy of the Lord is our strength as they head into battle. Or, or you might even think it might be from uh, Philippians, which is the happiest book in the Bible. Like more happiness in Philippians than anywhere else in the Bible. You might think it's from there, but it's actually from Nehemiah. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And the context of that joy is really, really important. Because it doesn't happen when Nehemiah finds more comfort, convenience, and stuff. In fact, we know from being in this story, in this series, right? He leaves a bunch of comfort, convenience, and stuff to go pursue this mission, okay? But what's interesting is the joy doesn't actually even come from completing the wall, which he's been working on. So if you're new to this series, he's been building this wall, trying to restore Jerusalem. God's heart was in it, so he's out there doing it. But the joy doesn't even come from that. The joy comes when the people of God, when they get the, the, the wall built, everything's done, they're like, Phew, that was amazing. And they come to chapter 8, and they experience something that brings true joy in their heart and will bring true joy in your heart. They experience revival. They experience revival. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Revival, the path to joy. 
the path to joy. I want to show you how revival can be a joy source for you. In fact, it is the joy source for you. Okay, Webster's Dictionary, best definition I could find for revival is this. Restoration of force, validity, or effect. So when you're talking about spiritual revival, it's a restoration of spiritual force, of spiritual validity, or spiritual effect. It's where, revival is where the power and the presence of God come down and move freely in our lives. Revival is where people experience healing. It's where people experience growth. It's where people experience freedom from addictions and bondages. Where people are right with each other, they're right with God, and where God moves in power. Revival is where you're able to change, to make the change that you've been wanting to make, but you couldn't make on your own. But all of a sudden, the power of God, the presence of God, the Spirit of God empowers you to live different. This is revival, and this is what we want. Now, you may not have even known that coming into church today. You, maybe you just came, you, just, you, you knew you needed something. But you know what you really need? You need revival. More than you need a new sweater, a new drill, or even as good as it is, Starbucks coffee at home. What you really need is revival of your soul. That's what you really want. And as we jump into this passage today, I want you to know that I'm, I'm very excited about today. Because what today is, it's going to be a little bit of a lightning round, okay? It's a little bit of a shotgun of how to bring revival. But what I'm praying, this will plant some seeds in all of our hearts. Because I believe that this moment right here in our church is what this passage is all about. I really believe that. And I, and I believe God led us to Nehemiah for this purpose, is to set our hearts to say, God, we want all that you have for us. We want to get out of the way. We want you to have your way. And we're hungry, and we're ready, and we're desirous for you to move because revival is what's going to bring real joy. Revival is what you're really looking for. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to summarize chapters 8, 9, and 10, all right? So um, there's chapters 6 and 7 in between chapter 5, which we covered last week. And there's a couple of good little tidbits in there. I encourage you to read 6 and 7. But 8, 9, and 10 focus on this idea of revival and what happens when God moves and God shows up. And, and so I want to I kind of just cover those by looking specifically just at chapter 8. We'll refer to a little bit to 9 and 10. But so 9 and 10 is your homework this week, all right? So turn to the person next to you and say, you got a little homework. Tell me, you got a little homework, all right? 6 and 7 and 9 and 10. But most of 8, we're going to read right here it, it, today, all right, while, while we're here. And I want to show you how this little, this little seed, this little moment in Nehemiah's life and the people's lives uh, in the nation of Israel and here right now in Jerusalem bring about revival and how the lessons from this can bring about revival in your own heart, all right? So if you're ready to experience a little revival and jump into this, say, I am. Let's do it. Let's do it. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. All the people, everybody say all the people. Okay, come on, at both locations, everybody say all the people. 
All the people came together as one. Man, that is a good little phrase. If you have an actual paper Bible to underline, you can already take that note. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But they came together as one. We, we know there's probably about 50,000 people in Jerusalem at this time. So that's a lot of people. 50,000 people, that's a lot of people. That's a stadium of people, okay? 50,000 people, and they all came together as one. Do you know what the, the phrase all the people means in Hebrew? It means everybody, okay? So that's what it means. It's everybody, okay? Sometimes it's not difficult. <laughs> uh, but they're not here to watch football or NASCAR or U2. They're here to read the word of God. They're here to watch this. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. Now, who's Ezra? Ezra is this guy. He's been the local pastor in Jerusalem now for about 13 years. So he's been there before Nehemiah got there. And Ezra's got some gifts, all right? He's, he's, a, he's a pastor. He's a priest. So it's his job to preach, it's his job to, to bring about uh, spiritual revival. What's interesting is that Ezra was there, Ezra saw that the wall was broken down, the same that Nehemiah heard about, and Ezra couldn't do the rebuild. It's kind of interesting. And you know what, you know what, it's just a little bit of a sidebar how the, the kingdom of God is built by a team. Some, some are going to be able to see a need, and you're going to be able to do something about that need. You're going to be able to build it. Ezra saw the need. He was probably burdened for the need, but he was just a pastor. No, at least he didn't have any leadership skills, at least not enough to do this. But now he's got an opportunity to let his gift shine. It takes everybody to build the kingdom. Come on, somebody. It takes all of us. It takes all of us, and God has given you a gift, and he wants to use your gift to build a kingdom. Verse 2, so on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. They said, anybody who can understand, we want you to come and experience this. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and all those who can understand. And they listened attentively to the book of the law. They're, they're on the edge of their seat. They're leaning in. They got their, they got their phones, and they're taking notes. They're, they're listening. All right, verse 4. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood Mattathiah, Shema, and a bunch of other names I'm not going to pronounce. It's not worth it. Verse 5. Ezra opened the book. And all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. And Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen! Amen! This is like the tomahawk chop, y'all. Like literally like, Amen! Amen! They're all into it. They're excited. They're, they're, can you imagine 50,000 people raising their hands, singing, Amen! Amen! It's every preacher's dream, y'all. It's every preacher's dream. They praised the Lord so well. The people gave him a double amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Bani, and a bunch of other people that I'm not going to pronounce, instructed the people in the law. So, there's a, so it's a team effort. Do you even see here? There's a team effort. So Ezra's not on the platform by himself. 
and that he doesn't do all of the teaching by himself. It, everybody's got a part here. And then verse 8, they read from the book of the law, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. How many of you know that's the only way you, can read, you should read the Bible is when it makes sense? That's why we try, to, we try every week, we try to make this, this ancient book that is full of truth make sense to your daily life because that's what God wants for it. It's, deep teaching is not stuff that makes you go, man, that was so deep, I have no idea what they were talking about. So good. Deep teaching is stuff you can apply to your life. And they're making it clear. He's breaking it down. Verse 9, then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra the priest, and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. Why are they saying that? For all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. That's, a, that's an appropriate response. We'll talk about that here in just a moment. And Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to the Lord. Do not grieve for, everybody say it with me, the joy of the Lord is your strength. He says, today we celebrate because God is bringing revival to his people. And the result is joy. The result is joy. Do you know that the enemy of our souls wants to steal joy from you? That's what he does. That's what sin does. But God wants to bring joy, and it looks like revival. Okay, so here's what we got. I've got, I've got building blocks for revival for you, okay? So way too many points to preach really well today, so, but I'm going to give them to you and do my best. All right, six points, six building blocks on how to build revival. I wanted to put all of this into one message because I want you to see how if you do these six things, you'll be ready for revival, okay? The first thing is humble yourself. Second thing is get in unity. Third thing is open the word. Fourth, respond to the Spirit's conviction. Fifth, dedicate yourself to God. And then sixth, focus on the future. Sixth blocks for building revival in your heart. And I want to unpack those today. I want to show you how this passage, all like this is like a little formula that's there. It's a little roadmap that comes up when you really do a deep dive onto this, all right? So we're going to do this. We're going to have a little bit of revival in our heart. And if you're, if you're ready for a revival, turn to three people and say, I'm game for a revival. How about you? Come on, find three people. Say, I'm game. I'm game. First thing, first thing, humble yourself. Humble yourself. Now, this is what's interesting. Nehemiah is the man. Who, I mean, he's like, the book's named after him, right? I mean, this is the guy. This is the guy who said something needs to happen, and I'm going to do it. He's, he's, he's the man. He's El Capitan. He's the head honcho. He's, the, he's the, the big kahuna. He's the man. And yet, who's at the forefront doing all of this right now? Ezra. I think this is really amazing and something not to overlook. But Nehemiah lays his role in right down and gives the platform to somebody else. It might be one of the most powerful things about Nehemiah's life. He was humble. He wasn't about himself. He wasn't about himself. He was the man, and yet he said, I'm going to take a back seat so Ezra can take a front seat. Ezra knows this law stuff. Ezra can break down the scriptures better than I can. 
Could, have, could Nehemiah have done it? He probably could have. He probably could have got there. You know what he could have done? He probably could have been like, hey, Ezra, why don't you give me the notes on this, you know, and I'm going to get up there because I'm the man, I'm the leader, and I'm going to go ahead and break this down for everybody. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He says, I'm going to get out of the way. Ezra, you do it. He's humble. And I really believe his humility, like everybody's watching that, and everyone's like, man, that's amazing. His humility transferred to everybody else. Everybody's watching this, and they're all humble. Humility is essential for revival. Humility is a key to revival in your heart, where you experience more of God, where you experience more of God's presence. When you humble yourself, revival begins. When you exalt yourself, revival ends. I mean, this is true all throughout history when you look at it. Humility brings about revival. Pride kills revival. Humility brings God's blessing. Pride keeps his blessing away. Look at this, 1 Peter chapter 5. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. And all the elders said amen. amen. Yeah. And uh, he's like, I hope you all listening, you young people. Um, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Do you know God wants to lift you up? God wants to bring favor and blessing and grace into your life. Do you know how it will happen? By humbling yourself. Now, here's what we have to know. Here's what you have to know. Pride is, is human nature, it's human nature. It's human nature to be proud. But can I just be honest with you? It's extra in America. It's extra. Like, you, you, are, you, you start with, like, a turbocharged boost of pride. It's an American. All right? You know, don't tell me what to do. I'm free. I'm a rebel without a cause. Born to ride. Don't tread on me. Give me liberty or give me death. America. <laughs> Right? I mean, just think about the phrases. Think about like our cultural phrases, our national phrases. <laughs> There's a lot of pride there. A lot of pride. And, and pride is not God's way. Pride is not God's way. Pride is the value system of the devil. Pride is what cost Satan heaven. And it's what costs people heaven every day. In order for us to experience heaven, you, you have to humble yourself. And you got to say, I need God. I can't do this on my own. You got to humble yourself. And in order to experience revival, you need to continue to humble yourself. It's God saying, it's saying, God, I, I need you so badly. God, I can't do this on my own. God, I humble myself, not my way, but your way. Not my will, but your will. God, I get out of the way. I give you the front seat. I give you the spotlight. This isn't about me. This is about you. When you pray that prayer, when you live that life, you're humbling yourself and you're bringing revival into your life. Let me just ask you, is there an area of pride in your life today? Is there something that when, when either God starts 
talking to you about or, or your spouse starts talking to you about or a friend's like, hey, man, you need to, you need to address this. And you're like, You don't tell me what to do. If there's something like that, I just want to, I want to encourage you with this. Revival will be limited in your life. Revival will be limited in your life. But when you say, man, I am, this is not about me. I'm open. God, you have your way. You humble yourself. You usher his, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Second thing, everybody say number two. Get in unity. Get in unity. All the people came together as one. 50,000 people doing the same thing. They're saying, amen. They're lifting their hands. They're saying, amen. Amen. It's a double tomahawk chop, y'all. In fact, let's try it. Can we try it? Two hands in the air, and you say, amen, amen. Everybody across this. I don't even know if we can get everybody at both campuses to do this. We might be able to. All right, come on, everybody. One, two, three. Amen. Amen. Couldn't do it. We couldn't do it. Some of you are like, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> just saying. I'm just saying. 50,000 people. You know what you don't have? You know what you don't have? 25,000 people saying, I'm not so sure. You know, Ezra, I really would have appreciated if you would have read that verse instead of that one. You know, or what's up with Shema doing up there? I mean, Shema, he always gets the opportunities. I've been working on this wall too. Where's my opportunity? Why, why am I not up there? Or, or you know what, I, I, I just, this whole thing, it's very crowded. No, where's the crowd management here? You know, let's get Nehemiah back in charge. You have 50,000 people who came together as one. Now, were they all completely excited about every aspect of what was happening? I'm going to venture to say they weren't. <laughs> I'm going to bet to say there were some people who were like, I don't care for that. Because it's people. But you know what? They said, I'm going to lay down my personal preferences for the greater good of unity. Because I want revival. And that's what it takes. It takes getting into unity. Getting into unity. And if we want a church that changes the world, we have got to get into unity. Do you know that the church is meant to be united and that the devil wants us to be divided? The devil wants to divide the church. He knows that if he can get us fighting against each other, we won't have any energy to fight against him and so he wants to divide us he wants to get us angry he wants to get us upset over stuff that does not matter it doesn't matter There's so many things that do not matter and he wants us fighting about little things that don't matter and he wants us missing out on unity that's why the writer of hebrews will say this in verse uh, chapter 12 verse 15 see to it that no one falls short of the grace of god and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. It's like, you know, that, that root of bitterness. Some, someone does something you don't like, 
someone makes you mad, there's a little root that starts growing in your heart. How many know when it's small, you can get in there and do something about it, but as it grows, it gets a lot harder. That thing turns into a plant. That thing turns into a small tree. Then it turns into a big tree. Then it turns into a California redwood. And, and you used to be able to just go in, and now you're going to need a gigantic chainsaw. So he's like, hey, listen, if there's stuff, if there's stuff between you and somebody else, get in to unity. It is almost impossible for revival to happen in your life when you have bitterness in your heart. When, when, there's, something, when there's something working, it, it just, the spirit of God can't, it, it's not gonna flow. The spirit of God will not flow if you've got bitterness in your heart. What God wants to do is bring us into unity. Does that mean we, we agree on everything? No. It just means we're together. Amen? Amen. 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 All right. Open the word. Third thing. Open the word. They read the word of God. Verse 2. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, and he read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square. Daybreak till noon. You all thought my sermons were long. <laughs> they were in the word. They were in the word, and because they were in the word, revival happened. The word of God is where we will find the will of God. If you want to be in God's will, you've got to get into God's word. If you want to have God's heart, you've got to get into God's word. If you want revival to happen in your life, it's going to happen because God's word is being sown into your life. When God's word is read or spoken, God moves, God works, God helps us grow. It's our spiritual food. It's our daily bread. Hebrews 4 says this, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It gets in there. It gets in there and it just works. And it just, it cures and it heals and it shows us God's heart and it gives us strength. And as we are in the word, God's going to speak to us through the word. And then we need to respond to what he's speaking. That's the next thing. Respond to the spirit's conviction. Every time you open the word of God, God will be speaking to you if you're open to it. He will speak to you. And when he speaks to you, you're probably going to have a, oh, man, mm, I got to grow. And when you have that, you want to respond. This is what the people did. Verse 9, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. They wept because they were convicted. Now, some of you are new to church. You'd be like, convicted? What's, what's happening here? Like, people getting arrested and stuff? What is this, like a massive episode of Law and Order? What's going on here? Conviction. Conviction is when the Spirit speaks to your life, and he points out something that you need to change and address and this happens in chapter 8, also happens in chapter 9. And they put on sackcloth and ashes, and they are, they are weeping over their sin because they realize they haven't been doing what God wanted them to do. This is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. 
When you open up the word of God, he's going to start pushing. He's going to start leaning in. And as he does, don't ignore it. But say, God, okay, that stings a little bit, but I, I say yes. I say yes to you. And he's going to inspire you to change. Every time you come into the presence of God, almost every time, like you're going to be encouraged, you're going to be inspired, but there, there might, there's probably going to be something where you're like, oh man, if you really get into the word, if you really get into the presence, you're going to be, the spirit is going to do that. This is what happens when Peter encounters Jesus, right? Jesus does this miraculous catch of fish for him. It's like amazing. It's unbelievable. It's miraculous. And he sees that in his response is this, verse 8. When Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, for I am a sinful man. It's the spirit of God being like, oh, you're holy. I'm not. Oh. But God doesn't do it to beat us up. He does it to raise us up. He does this to clean us out so that he can raise us up. Look what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit in John 16. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Do you know when you're sinning, that works against faith. When you sin, that works against God's working in your life. And so the spirit is going to come in. And he's going to be like, ah, you need to work on that. You need to address that. It's keeping you from all that God has for you. It's brutal, but it's beautiful. It's painful, but it's protective. And what our response needs to be is, oh, God, have it all. Yeah. Literally this week, my, uh, my three-year-old, she, she, she found a Halloween candy. I don't know how she did. I really don't. I don't want to know because it's very high, and I don't know how she got it, but she did, and Jen, uh, Jen uh, was in the other room. She's like, oh, she had a robe on, and Jen's like, check her pockets, and she's like, no, dad, don't check my pockets, and, and she, but she had them all in one pocket. She had them all in one pocket, so she was like, dad, you can look in this pocket, but not in this one. I said, I think I'm going to look in this one over here. Why? Because I hate my child? No, because she doesn't need to eat three bags of Skittles before breakfast. This is, this is, we need to say, God, you can check every pocket. Every pocket. I'm not holding anything back. You, you just have yourself. Have your way. Then the next thing is dedicate yourself to God. In chapter 9, the people pray the longest prayer in the Bible, Nehemiah chapter 9. And during this prayer, they're broken over their sin. They remind themselves of the goodness of God. They pray for the mercy of God. And then they dedicate themselves to the work of God. And they dedicate. In chapter 9, look at this verse at 38. In view of all this, we're making a binding agreement, putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites, and our priests are affixing their seals to it. So they're praying, they're, they're committing themselves before the Lord. Obviously, no, they're praising God. If you want revival in your heart, you've got to pray it into your heart. You got to pray, God, bring revival to my heart. 
bring, bring, bring revival to my heart to where you are the thing I care about most. You are the thing I think about most. You are the thing that I'm most committed to. You are the one that I'm most interested in. The more you pray, the more you will want to pray, and the more revival you will have. And if we're all doing this, can you imagine what will happen in our church? And then they dedicate themselves to God in Nehemiah chapter 10. We will not neglect the house of our God. So obviously they're talking about, they're talking about the church. They're talking about the temple there. And there's definitely applications there. I think you could say, hey, do not neglect being in church, caring for the church, praying for the church, all that. But they're talking about the house of God. And back then, the house of God was a building. But do you know what the house of God truly is today? you know what the temple is today? It's you. You. If you are in Christ, you are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so you have to take care of the temple of the Holy Spirit. Look at this, verse Corinthians chapter 6. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now, part of this is declaring war on sin, for sure. Don't let the same things trip you up. Get freedom, get help, get accountability, get counseling, absolutely. But this is also saying... Every, every moment I have is an opportunity to bring glory and honor and worship to God. Every breath that you have is an opportunity to worship God. I gotta say, God, help me. I dedicate myself to you. I don't dedicate myself to the world. I don't dedicate myself to myself. Not even to my family. Family is most certainly very, very important but only is it second to the most important thing. And if you get those things mixed up, you will be messed up. And you'll be, out of, you'll be out of whack. So dedicate yourself to God. And then, and the last thing is focus on the future. Now, here's what's cool. Here's what's cool. For nearly 200 years, like, there's not much happening that's good in Israel's history. They're getting carried off in exile. The walls are getting broken down. Like this is, like they're getting dominated and they brought it upon themselves. So it's been, a, it's been a rough spell, but God was on the move. God was moving. In fact, during this time, prophets had started prophesying about the Messiah who would come again. They were hearing grumblings of, of prophets who were preaching and prophesying back in Babylon about this coming Messiah. And of course, they had Isaiah. They had Isaiah. And what does Isaiah 55 say, talking about the Messiah? You will go out in, come on, everybody. Joy. Can the rest of you all see it? Like, you, maybe it's not big enough. You will go out in joy. You'll go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper, and instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. Hope was on the rise because they were looking ahead. 
They were looking ahead to one that would come and reconcile all that had been made wrong. They were looking forward to a Messiah who was going to conquer their enemies. But the Messiah didn't come to conquer a human enemy. He came to, he came to conquer the true enemy. And he did conquer that enemy with his life, with his death, with his burial and resurrection. He overcame death, hell, and the grave to bring victory to you and to I, to give us a glorious present and something that we can look forward to, a glorious future. We've got something to look forward to. Do you know that the best is yet to come? Revival is going to happen, and it's going to start in our hearts. And I'm saying I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Are you here for it? Come on, would you stand at both locations? I want to take a moment. And I just want us to say yes to God. I just want us to say yes to God. Would you just lift your hands and surrender and say, Lord, I just offer myself to you. Just make a little moment of prayer right here. God, I pray that your will would be done. I pray that your kingdom would come. Father, I pray that you would do what only you can do. Humble myself, Lord God. I humble myself before you and I say, Lord, you can have it all. I know that, that this season, as we get ready to go into gifts and presents and shopping and family moments and all of this, God, we just, we know that the most important thing is that we are right with you, that we are right with you. And then we say, God, have your way. Have your way in our hearts, Lord. You can have it all. We are open and we are ready and we are saying yes to you. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. In Jesus' name, let's worship.